one day they'll tell a story and some will say it was just a fairy tale about a human who came from the stars and changed our world. spreading through the villages. They all want to see this human who defies the apes. Four division! Four barrel ready! It's over. There's no help coming. You came. Stay on the call to march! Get me the spaceman. and welcome to Is It Jaws, the movie review show where we ask the magical question, Is It Jaws? I'm Paul Spataro and I am joined by my first returning guest host, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Hello. And I made it I, back quickly, too. Well, the, the, <laughs> quickly as far as time between recording sessions, right. we'll be a little lag between postings. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to build up a little surplus here, so it'll be a little while before you see this one posted. Anyway, uh, I lost my train of thought here. Today we're going to review the 2001 remake of Planet of the Apes, Tim Burton's version of Planet of the Apes. And we're going to review it on the Jaws scale. As a reminder, let me give you the Jaws scale for purposes of the show, which is not reflective of my reviews of the Jaws movies. You have to listen to the Jaws show in order to get that. But the, for the ranking purposes, Jaws is an all-time classic. Few, if any, flaws. If it ha and if it has flaws, they don't interfere with your viewing of the movie. Jaws 2, really good, really enjoyable, sustainable through repeated viewings, but not quite to the level that you'd call great. Jaws 3, watchable. You catch it on TV once in a while, it's fine. You wouldn't rush out to buy it on DVD, and you wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to see it. Or Jaws 4, a piece of crap. <laughs> A train crash in the water. <laughs> yes, a, a pontoon plane being brought down by a shark. That, that is our ranking system. The first and... shark with vocal cords. <laughs> the vocal cords of a lion. <laughs> well, you see, what happened is the shark ate a lion, and uh, vocal cords got stuck in his craw. See, we're doing it again. <laughs> you don't want to discuss this movie, and you're going to just keep, you're going to keep tangenting on me. Yeah, well, like we were discussing before we started recording, 
Uh, we talked about doing this movie before, and I said, sure, I'll, 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 I'll take one for the team and watch, because I haven't watched this since it came out in the movie theater. And, uh, and I was saying, and then, and then a few weeks passed, and, uh, and you know, life and sort of sets the reset on your brain, and then, uh, you know, I get an IM from you, and it says, hey, you want to do, uh, do Planet of the Apes on Tuesday? And I said, sure. And to me, just because maybe because I'd read Gardner and just gone to the actual movie theater to see the original Heston Planet of the Apes. And uh, that's when I, I just was like, oh, sure. And 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 it sort of occurred to me in my mind, huh, I wonder why Gardner isn't on that. He would he would probably flip out if he's not going to be on that. And then like a, a, a couple days before today, I, I suddenly realized, oh, that's right. It's the Tim Burton <laughs> version of it. For what it's worth, I had asked Scott to come on as well, and he respectfully declined saying... Quickly, really? quickly. Well, I, I think at this point, Scott has had enough exposure to movies that he's not wild about. Right. And and just, just would rather stick with movies that he's positive on to for review purposes. So I, I can respect that. And... uh I know I, I rewatched this and I tried to keep an open mind throughout. And some some of the things I, I would think on it, it might surprise you. I mean, it's it's not going to be a vitriol. Eyes all throughout. What's that? I was just I was trying to keep open eyes throughout because it's kind of long. <laughs> it, is, it is a little longer than I thought. But let me let's let's start at the beginning with this one because uh, what was your exposure to it before seeing it? How, how did you learn of it? You know what. Well, I was really excited in the run-up to it because um, I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan, and you know, all of a sudden it's coming. And and it, by this point, Tim Robbins had Tim Robbins, Tim Burton hadn't uh, really sort of like I don't want to say tarnished his reputation, but he hadn't put out like as ma- as many duds as he has between now and then. Although he's also had you know still put out good movies. I'm thinking this movie is made for Tim Burton, you know, and in the lead up to it, I, he's a big fan of the apes, you know, blah, 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 of the movies. And, and, uh, so I was very optimistic for it. As a matter of fact, I'm, you know, I'm a monkey movie fanatic. So I was literally like bouncing off the walls for this movie and was there on opening night with a bunch of my friends, you know, with bells on. And I just remember walking out of the theater, like exhausted, you know, with that exhausted feeling of like, I don't know if I like that or not, but man, it just tired me out, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I definitely was not like that. the end. I, I, I was optimistic at this point. I still kind of liked Burton. I knew, you know, he, when he first came around and we had Beetlejuice and we had Pee-wee's Big Adventure and even the first Batman movie, uh, you know, at that, at that point I was a fan. The Batman movie eventually, my opinion of it now isn't as good as my opinion of it when it came out yeah so you here uh and I, I, retroactively i kind of just soured on a lot of burton but at the point that this movie wasn't was coming out i had not yet soured on him and i was really looking forward to it i was psyched mm-hmm. so uh have you have you seen any of the numbers on this pardon me have you seen any of the numbers on it the numbers on like box office or box office and budget no, not really. I know it was a humongous budget, and I know it did well. I don't think it tanked or anything. Any guesses? Um, no, I'm not going. Even though my fingers are just like hovering over the the link to IMDb, I will let you. Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, according to Box Office Mojo, the production budget was a hundred million dollars, which at 2001 was a pretty healthy budget. Not pretty that healthy. many movies went over over that magic number. 
the total domestic gross was 180 million 11,000 yeah 180 million 11,740 yeah foreign gross was 182 million 200,000 for so a total of 362 money. so it made its money back now i don't know you know i i think they always talk about the magic number being uh i think it's two and a half times its budget domestically which would be a huge number i mean you're talking then 250 million yeah to 180 i don't know how the foreign gross works into that i know they don't pull as much from it so you know you have to make more in foreign gross to to turn the profit but then they don't factor in video sales and television rights and all of that stuff so I think sometimes when they call something a bomb or, or you know, a money loss uh, leader, I don't know that they necessarily are. I think it just means they're less profitable than they wanted it to be. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, for the, that's the thing is they, they probably want to make big money on this to justify the budget. So that's why with the big blockbusters, they want like this huge return on it. Whereas if you have a small budget movie and it makes any money at all, all of a sudden that's kind of a, a big deal, you know, or that's a good thing. So it, I, I think it has a lot to do with the initial investment and risk and stuff in it. And, you know, it's a point of like, okay, we made our money back or made, maybe made a little money on it, but, you know, we had to tie up $100 million into it to do it, you know. So that's why there weren't any sequels forthcoming. And I remember the... I don't think it got panned by the the reviewers, but it was lukewarm at best. I think actually probably I don't I don't know what you have to say, but I have a feeling what I have to say probably will be uh, you know I didn't go to Rotten Tomatoes and check because it would have it'll have reviews from back when it came out, but I'll bet you my review is pretty close to the general consensus of the critics back then. Well, I'm just looking at the uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page and. Uh, critical reception. It says, based on 156 reviews collected by the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't know when these are based time-wise, 45% of the critics gave Planet of the Apes positive review- reviews, while the site's consensus, with the site's consensus stating, this remake of Planet of the Apes can't compare to the original in some critics' minds, but the striking visuals and B-movie charms may win you over. Which sounds... Similar to what I would say review-wise. Yeah, about right. Putting yeah. it in a nutshell. Yeah. So I might as well give the plot to this because it is a little different from the uh, the original. In 2029, aboard the U.S. Air Force Space Station Oberon, Leo Davidson works closely with primates who are trained for space missions. His favorite simian co-worker is a chimpanzee named Pericles. With a deadly electromagnetic storm approaching the station, a small space pod piloted by Pericles is used to probe the storm. Pericles' pod heads into the storm and disappears. Against his commanding officer's orders, Leo takes a second pod and goes in pursuit of Pericles. Entering the storm, Leo loses contact with the Oberon and crashes on a planet called Ashlar in the year 5021. He discovers that the world is ruled by humanoid apes who can speak human language and treat human beings as slaves. Leo comes across a female chimpanzee named Ari who protests the awful treatment humans receive. Ari decides to buy Leo and a female slave named Diana to have them work as servants in the house of her father, Senator Sandor. Leo escapes his cage and frees other humans. Ari sees them, but Leo convinces her to join a human rebellion against the apes. 
General Thade and C Colonel Attar march ape warriors in pursuit of the units. Leo discovers Kalima, the Temple of Simos, a forbidden but holy site for the apes. Kalima turns out to be the remains of the Oberon, Leo's space station, which has crashed, crashed on the planet's surface and looks ancient. The name Kalima coming from the sign Caution Live Animals, the relevant letters being the ones not covered in dust. According to the computer logs, the station has been there for thousands of years. Leo deduces that when he entered the vortex, he was pushed forward in time, while the Oberon searching after him was not, crashing on the planet long before he did. The Oberon's log reveals that the apes on board, led by Simos, organized a mutiny and took control of the vessel after it crashed. The human and ape survivors of the struggle left the ship and their descendants are the people Leo has encountered since landing. In the present, a battle ensues between the humans and the apes. A familiar vehicle descends from the sky and is identified immediately by Leo as the pod piloted by Pericles, the chimpanzee astronaut. Pericles was pushed forward in time as Leo was and had just now found his way to the planet. When Pericles lands, the apes interpret his landing as the return arrival of Simos, the first ape who is their god. They bow and hostilities between the humans and apes disappear. Pericles then runs into the Oberon and Leo runs after him, followed by General Thade. Inside, Thade and Leo fight, with Pericles trying to help Leo, only to be thrown hard against a wall. Thade gets hold of Leo's gun, but does not understand how to use it at first. Seeing that Thade is in the pilot's deck, Leo closes the automatic door of the entrance, trapping Thade as he shoots the gun, the bullets ricocheting off the door harmlessly. Thade thrashes around to escape, but after all attempts to do so fail, he finally gives up. Leo then decides it's time for him to leave the Planet of the Apes, so he gives Pericles to Ari, with her promising to look after him, also saying farewell to D Diana. Leo climbs aboard Pericles' undamaged pod and uses it to travel back in time through the same electromagnetic storm. Leon, Leo ends up crashing in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on Earth. He looks up at the memorial and sees it is now a monument in honor of General Thade. A swarm of police officers, firefighters, and news reporters descend on Leo, but on closer inspection, they are all apes. Yeah. I, I mean, think, to some extent, that ending retroactively spoiled the movie, to some extent. There's failures to the movie going through it, but I think that ending was just so much of an attempt by Burton to create his own version of the ending of the original. Well, you couldn't end it like the original because it's pre-spoiled if it does, you know. Yeah. It's, it's too iconic of a twist. You have to come up with a new twist. And the thing is, this twist doesn't really make sense. I guess maybe what they're saying is Earth is really, you know, the ape planet in the future. <clears throat> and General Thade escaped and the apes still took over. Or whatever, but that still doesn't make any sense either. Now, Burton, because Earth would have been the, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 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 it was ever, ever everybody you could hear the whole movie theater go, oh come on, huh? yeah. There was just this mumble and grumble of like when that when that happened because it was just like we don't need this. The story's made somewhat sense. It's had holes, but it's made somewhat sense up until this point. And then it ends as if that's like the punch in the face. But it's like you just got punched in the face with a feather and it tickled. <laughs> you know, I, I when this first came out on DVD, I watched it with the commentary track by Tim Burton. And when it got to the end, I thought it was such a cop out because his, his response to the 
questions of how is that possible that it happened was he said something to the effect of, obviously I'm paraphrasing, I had a good reason for how it ended this way, but I really don't want to reveal that now because I don't want to handcuff anybody who might make a sequel to this. Oh, right, 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 right. They're lining up to do that. First of all, Studios it wasn't going to be a sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the money is not coming for that sequel. But I'll, and, I'll give you know what I'll even give him the benefit of the doubt of saying maybe he did this commentary track fairly early. Maybe it was before they even released the movie in the theaters. For all I know, maybe we should petition for him now since there's two other eight mo you know since there's two other sequels and they've decided to disengage themselves from that continuity. <laughs> it's it, it just obviously it's obvious and they're and they're going really good. So you know maybe it's safe for him. Maybe he can reveal that now. Maybe he's not handcuffing anybody anymore. I, I don't quite understand why somebody would be handcuffed by something he said in the commentary anyway. It's not part of the film. Just give the logic and, and work from there. Well, if they you're going to have... it in the sequel, they could, if there was ever going to be a sequel. It's not a decent twist either if, if it's a twist that's dependent on having it explained in a potential sequel. Then there's no twist to it. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah, I don't pop out for sure. At the, that's being nice. <laughs> I, you know, again, when... when the, when this first came out, I considered Burton to be a quirky but competent and enjoyable filmmaker. He, made, he had made you know enough movies that I enjoyed that I, I could look forward to this to some extent. I'm not the uh, devotee to Edward Scissorhands that some people are. Right. But you know I knew he made movies that were, were very popular. Like I said, I did like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and you know Beetlejuice and the first Batman movie, so I, I was okay with it. Uh, and and I thought this was going to be good, but. I just think he made a very self-indulgent, and I it's don't think Peter he really Jackson, cared about the Jackson's audience. King Kong. Like it's, but it's like a light version of Peter Jackson's King Kong. I think it's I, I an think... hour shorter than Peter Jackson's yeah. King Kong, but the same sort of idea. Where you know, and here comes my. I'll, I'll do my comparison to the original. The original was just a straightforward, lengthened-out episode of the Twilight Zone. For Christ's sakes, Rod Serling wrote it. So it's it's pretty much has sort of one little one little arc to it and it follows that arc and it nuances it all the way through. So not a lot happens, you know, as far as contributing to the story of it. There's just some action, you know, sort of spaced out to drive the story. But the story in itself is very simple. And I think Tim Burton and as far as sequels go and him worrying about handcuffing people, this this. He shoved about three movies into this movie. He tried to like take elements from all his favorite apes movies and throw them in there, and from other movies to boot. You know, on top of it, there's some definite some Star Trek and some Star Wars um, loving going on in this. I mean, the 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 very first shot of like space and then the pan down is Star Wars. There's a Dagobah crash scene. It's sort of V'ger with the dust on the on the outside of the ship and, and the, the words forming, you know, the something that's stood up for, for millennia as a name. So it's, it's like he's paying tribute left and right. And I think now it's, it actually, I, I was, I, I think if you would have asked me after I came out of the movie, if this movie was going to stand up to the test of time, I would have said like, Oh no, this is going to be, you know, five years from now, this is going to be crap. But it's actually improved a little bit over time, but I think that's mostly because the other movies that have been remaking stuff and paying tribute 
have just been more over the top than this. I think this was just like the early days of it. You know, it's that time period between the 90s styles of movies and the modern style of movies where, you know, you have to have a lot of throwback throwbacks and lines from the original movie, but with a twist on them, you know, an ape satum instead of the human and, and this time Charlton Heston's in, 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 in is, is a, is an ape. And, uh, and and I remember there were a lot of moans and groans at that in the the movie theater too. But at the same time, some of them were kind of cool. And I just remember enjoying this till about three quarters of the way through. And then by about three quarters, it's just like, okay, you could have ended this by now. And then it keeps going. And then it ends with that, with the Lincoln Memorial. And it just doesn't it doesn't work. You know, it takes away any goodwill. Because there's a lot of good things about this movie. The cast is fantastic. Big Marky Mark fan. And okay, we'll, we'll go over the cast a little bit in a moment. Yeah, and good music. I like the director. The writing is decent in it. You know, the, the special effects and practical makeup effects are, you know, mwah. They're, they're great. They're, they're definitely still in line with the original, but a step forward. But they still, they have... a a little more fleshy look to them than, you know, old prosthetic makeup. They, they look more like real, real wiggly skin with hair on it. I think you and I disagree a little bit on that one. Cause I was looking at it and I was saying, boy, you know, the makeup really didn't advance as much as I thought it should have in the 30 years between the two movies, just like around their neck and stuff. It had that, that soft, you know, chicken waddle look that, that, that apes have, you know, you can tell that if you like, touch it would feel like uh you know like when you have a cat that has some loose skin on its belly it would feel like that it's it's a sort of loose hanging thing and uh and i and 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 it was sort of nice to see practical effects as the dominant factor rather than it being a complete cgi i mean if it was done today everything in that would have been cgi and it would have been way more over the top well, the, and the, but there's a good amount of CGI script to some extent because we have a hell of a lot of CGI in the recent ones, mm-hmm. and I think they, all the apes are CGI in the. I think we, I think they're far superior in in their look yes. and, and how they carry themselves. But to be fair, this was 15 years earlier, so the CGI hadn't advanced as much. So I understand that they couldn't do the same things CGI in 2001 that you could do in 2015 in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but. The Rick Baker makeup, to me, did not look as superior to the makeup of 1968 as I thought it would. Well, it might not be, it might not even be practically possible to take that quantum leap in makeup effects, you know, that the original took from, you know, I mean, before that, if you needed an ape in a movie, it was just your standard ape suit, you know, yeah. a big heavy fur suit with, with a big old head on it that, and you know, sometimes... It would have fake eyes, but mostly it would have like the only thing that was really expressive about it was the actor's eyes and his body language. Nothing else had any, you know, the mouth would open and stuff, but, you know, nothing. There were some good um, um, puppet and fake apes in the Greystoke movie, for one. And uh, and like the ape suit took a little step forward with like King Kong and like the Incredible Shrinking Woman and stuff like that. But. I'm also a, I'm also a mark for for Rick Baker. I love love Rick Baker, and if it's Rick Baker plus monkeys, oh man! <laughs> I just always go back to American Werewolf. Mm. But 
that was that that that's hey maybe that one is one to do in the future too i i i'm not thinking about that movie enough that movie was pretty formative in my hbo days that that and that was see whereas i think and i I know there's some tim burton fans out there and i don't want to insult them because everybody's entitled to their own opinion and i don't mean to uh overstep mine but i find tim burton to be somewhat pretentious in his filmmaking I think he considers himself to be groundbreaking, but he's too busy showing off how groundbreaking he is to really be bothered breaking any ground. Well, in his early days, he was groundbreaking. Right, he was groundbreaking with Beetlejuice and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then and then doing the little, you know, working with a lot of the same actors and the and Danny Elfman, sort of building his own style. But he like did like Spielberg, but it didn't take him as long as Spielberg, where his style became so by rote that it didn't become fresh anymore. It became kind of a parody of itself. And, uh, you know, I think this is just on the cusp of that. And I think this is one of the movies like Batman, where he pictured it as I'm going to restrain myself a little bit, you know, for it because there's big money in it and it's a big project. And, you know, this will fund some of my... And, and remember, he's still got, um, I think, his crowning masterpiece of all time is still down the pike, and that's Big Fish. And that's another one where he really, res- he, 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 it's a very stylish movie, but he, you know, maybe because a lot of it really had a lot of um, um, resonance to him losing his dad, you know, at that time mm-hmm. in the movie. So it was put in there. But, you know, that movie didn't have a lot of the excesses that his other stuff had. And a lot of his stuff has had after. I mean, if you've seen like the Alice in Wonderland movie and stuff like that, it's just like or um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and stuff like that, where it's almost cartoonish version of Tim Burton, you know. Right. But the thing about this movie was it could have been if if he would have just played it a lot shorter and simpler, I think it would have worked a lot better. It, but he just tried to throw everything in there and it worked for a while but by the end it's like okay we're trying to sort of do battle of the planet of the apes 2 a little bit and and there were stuff that was just thrown out there like i don't know how marky mark got all those humans to be so steadfastly you know dedicated to him you didn't see it it was a throwaway line of like oh word spread of throughout the villages and encampments of you it's like yeah no these people aren't just gonna sit there and like not be deterred from standing there and dying by ape assault so you know it just it just falls apart by the end it's like his his desire to get everything in there just destroys all story and meaning i mean it was also a Twilight Zone episode, and it had that that's very 60s social commentary to it. And it sort of had social commentary that worked to what was going on at the time. But I don't, this one, like, it has that social commentary in it, you know, the reverse, you know, the way the apes talk about the humans and stuff. Oh, does he have a soul and stuff? That's completely um, sort of, a, you know, it's playing off slavery, which is not a a topic resonant to our time. It's a resonant topic, but it doesn't say that much about the conversation in modern times. And I guess maybe you could argue it's an animal rights activist subtext because I know Helena Bonham yes. Carter and and he are like I don't know if they're vegan, but I know they're vegetarian animal rights people. So that could have been the subtext of it. But if it was, it wasn't hammered 
down enough to be really like, and I don't think it was also something that enough people were concerned about at the time or even now that it that they picked up on it. So it just sort of loses out on that whole aspect of it, and then it just becomes a spectacle. Whereas I, I feel like the original one didn't go so much, quite so much on social commentary and went more on satire. Yeah, but satire but is social There was commentary. satire of the way our society was set up. There was satire yeah. of the of the class system. There was satire of religion. I, I felt like that was far more effective than in this movie where I'm not even sure that he meant the social commentary things that you're talking about. He may have, he may not have. But I almost feel like you have to search to find them a little bit. Well, all he did was... And they're not resonant. It was more like exaggeration than, than even commentary because it's like basically... Look, the apes are just like humans, but they're just bigger assholes. <laughs> they're more aggressively assholeish than you know. They're more scenery chewing. Ape, all apes are scenery chewers, you know, which makes sense because apes are dramatic creatures in the wild. So I guess that that was you know one of the you know they th- the, I love how in this movie you know when they get upset they throw fits and they Rah! they put their arms up in the air and run around and and they you know. They, they get right up close to each other and sniff each other and, you know, just do. And, and it's all just part of their social discourse. All that stuff was really neat. And they put a lot of work into it. I mean, seeing Paul Giamatti in a in an ape suit was great. He was a great he was a great ape. <laughs> again, again, we're going to divert from each other a little bit on that one, because I thought Paul Giamatti was just annoying in this movie. Oh, yeah, he's supposed to be, but, yeah. But, but, but I didn't find him amusing and annoying. Uh, I found him annoying and annoying. Once again, I'm a monkey, Mark, so if somebody's really working that monkey suit, you know, I'm I'm putty in their hands. Let's let's talk about the cast a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, we'll start with Mark Wahlberg, and I would say, I, I admit that Mark Wahlberg is a fine actor. I, I'm I think, a fan. I think he does really good work. I'm not a fan, and the reason has really nothing to do with what he's done on the screen. It's just having read about his uh, younger days, and uh, I, I, I look at him and based on his younger days, and you could look up his story yourself. I'm not going to go into it too much here for, on the show, but uh, I think I look at him and I think he's he's a, a, a bully punk, and that bothers me. And, and as he's gotten into the level where he has, it, I don't feel he's made any effort to remedy his past life. I do believe in second chances, but I think. He had a second chance. He made it big, and then he just said, "Screw everybody else that I messed up in the past." And you know, too bad. Now I'm rich. That's the way yeah. I look at it. I, I I always try, and you know, I'll go self-righteous and go. I always try to separate the private life of the artist from the. I art. do too. I do too. This is but one there's points, where I'm but, a tough time with it. But I'm a, I'm a total hypocrite because there are people whose art I'm never going to like. I like my friends when when we're listening to rap at work and somebody puts on Eminem. I can appreciate what Eminem does and even snicker sometimes at, at, at the wordplay and stuff like that. But as a human being, there's things about him that just rub me the wrong way. And I can't separate that from listening to his music and the urge, you know, the punch in the face urge. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to separate it and go like, yeah, I can just enjoy his music as fun trashy you know very skilled rapping over the topness but i can't i so can see, see, see that with marky mark the thing is i was a fan before i knew anything about his past except that you know his teen idol thing and that worked in his advantage because it set up low expectations and it was like oh actually this is one of those he i put him in like with will smith 
and like Arnold and stuff, people who are not, you know, they're not Shakespearean actors, but they're also people you wouldn't expect to be good actors, but they actually are. They kind of get it and they're solid and, and they're even kind of flexible and they can do different kinds of roles. They could do like goofy roles or they could do completely serious roles and they and they have that sort of iconic look to them. So they're just they're they're inter- he's he's like not something I don't look at him like like I love Nicholson too and like enjoy a, a great Nicholson performance or at a point I did you know up to a point I did and uh, but I don't put him in that I put him in this sort of like like it, it, in the same place where I put the director Adrian Lin who who like isn't a great filmmaker but he makes these solid movies that are kind of like that that are a little transcendent of the normal but they still inhabit that place like uh, fatal attraction mm-hmm. you know and so i and i don't know but i uh, me and a bunch of coworkers all were, were discussing one day oh you know we kind of think that yeah you know marky mark's actually a pretty good actor and then we formed a little marky mark fan club and we'd go to see <laughs> all his I, I think he's a decent actor i, I can separate first, my personal feelings from it that to that extent well the i, just, I can just never totally embrace him yeah because the, I just I'm a little bothered by everything, and I, yeah. I understand it's it's a different thing. If I if I start not being willing to watch movies by everybody who I have differing re- views from, I'm gonna have to miss a hell of a lot of good movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I realize that it's just he's one of the ones that for whatever reason I've latched on to that prejudice against him, mm-hmm. and I have a tough time letting it go. Tom Cruise is another one like that. I don't think of Tom Cruise as a great actor. I put him in the Marky Mark sort of ca- category, but there's people who just are like, they're not going to love ever watch anything with Tom Cruise because his being just <laughs> An ass. rubs him the wrong way. Yeah. But, I, but I'll, I'll watch a few good men from beginning to end anytime it's on. My Tom Cruise, my favorite Tom Cruise is uh, Risky Business. Like if I, if I had a go-to one Tom Cruise movie that I would watch, but that's just because it's got lots of Rebecca DeMornay nudity in it. And it also marked a formative. That was my um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High movie. Was a risky business seeing that in the theater and going just like, oh wow, <laughs> hello, R-rated movies. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is, you know, no surprise that she's in there. But she was, she was a, her character was interesting, if not a little weird, with the with her with the sort of uh, cross cross breeding. I, I had more of a problem on. with the way her character was written than I did with the way she acted in it. I just thought she was a little... I, I, for lack of a better word, I just thought her, her motivations were unrealistic. Well, I think she was supposed to be the spoiled spoiled kid who had the ideals, you know. But usually with a character like that, you have some a little bit of friction where her ideals and the reality don't work together but in this there's no friction with that because she's right you know she's just right all along the 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 lines it's it's very strange because in this movie it's like not i i can't figure out if it's known that humans can talk or not or the humans oh i think it's clear that they that they're known all along that they can talk which which i also thought took away from the movie because it did that that sense of I know this isn't the right word, but I almost feel like there's this claustrophobia in the original movie when he's in the cage and he can't speak and, you know, he's like desperate to, to kind of let it be known, but he knows he can't just yeah. let it out in front of just anyone. Well, there's just so much going on there that, that they just a, didn't work on in this at all. 
well, you have this weird thing, and it's unspoken, but it seems like the hu- all the humans have decided that they don't really talk around apes or talk to apes or anything. They'll talk amongst themselves, or when they team up with the apes, everybody will chat like it's it's no big thing. But why isn't that little girl ape going to the other little girl like, I want to go be with my mommy. Why do I have to be in a cage here with you? Wouldn't you be sad if you were in a cage, you know? And she could totally do that, you know. Yeah. All of them, all of them could totally do that, you know. Marky Mark could have said, "I like, I don't know. Do you see a soul in there? Why, you know, maybe if you look a little deeper, you know, or or so, you know, he could have come back with something that clearly denoted that he had a soul and intelligence <laughs> in that part. But in but it was like in front of the hostile apes for the most part, nobody spoke it was weird or maybe there was a rule with the apes that humans weren't supposed to speak i don't think it's more along those lines that they didn't speak for fear of repercussions for their speaking yeah not not because it wasn't known not because yeah i don't i don't buy that punishment for it but just because if they said something that was taken the wrong way at all there was probably severe beating beatings given out if humans are part of that society like slaves were uh, as domestic servants and stuff like that then you would eventually end up with no taboo on talking back and forth because it would just make life easier for everybody so if the humans can talk it's better to have them talk so then you can say like hey what's the weather like outside oh it's raining out there you know or you know whatever it would just i would, I would imagine it would be more of a speak when spoken to type thing though right right but there it, there would be and there would be apes that would be more liberal about letting their their house humans speak and stuff like that, you know. But I don't th- I don't think see I didn't think this movie had that kind of depth to it. No, no. I mean you can you can sort of think about it and try to do that, but it, it it's all stuff you have you have to do all the work for it. The movie wasn't really setting it up for you, you know, to think about that stuff. And it's, like it's, the, the Helena Bonham Carter character, you know, the what Ari. I, you know, I see her as the equivalent of Zira in the first film. Yes. Only Zira had an arc to her story. Ari really didn't. Zira also had a little bit of, you know, they, they still had some residual, even though they were nice to the humans, they still had a little bit of residual, like, standoffishness because they still were part of ape society, you know, and they were still a little awkward about, like, hugging, talking, and, and stuff until the very, the, the very end. Of the, and, and she went through the whole thing of, you know, first being you know loyal to Dr. Zayas and then eventually becoming loyal to Taylor and helping right. him to escape and, and everything that went on. She had a story arc. Right. I don't think that Ari had a story arc in this. I thought she just was there as, as for, for two reasons. She was there for plot movement and she was there because she was, I think, married to Tim Burton at this time. Nobody learns that nobody learns anything or evolves anything or makes progress in this movie. I mean, oh. apes and, and, and humans stop warring with each other, but that's only due to massive coincidence and a fake religious experience. It's not due to anybody having any kind of understanding of like, oh, apes and humans are the same. Yeah, there's it's no a, epiphany. Right, right. It's just it's just sort of a plot device that comes in and forces that situation. So and if this not, society is true to the way it's shown in this movie, within hours of that scene, the, 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 they're going right back to status quo the way they were. Exactly, exactly. You get back to the city, and it's just like, yeah, you can get, yeah, you can, exactly. You can fall right back into the old ways. So who who else have we got here? Uh, Michael Clark Duncan, I thought was wasted. Oh. 
He's always awesome. He's one but, of. But I didn't think he was awesome because I didn't think they wrote him awesome in this movie. He's, they just he's tried awesome. to write him as a big dumb gorilla, and I thought that was almost insulting to him. You know, he he should he should have had a story arc other than well, seeing Pericles come out of the ship and saying, "Oh, it's Simos." My my, and once again, when I, I you know I'm gonna think they're all awesome because I love the ape suits. But it, my my problem with the gorillas is all the gorillas are basically they're just they're just basically doing Klingon impressions. They're basically just talking in that that Klingon diction in the deep you know the super deep serious um, no no humorless voice, and they they act like Klingons. They're a little dialed down, but they're still just they, they they might as well be you know if you gave them the ridges and stuff you could have stuck them in a star trek movie which and, brings me to another one of my points that if you're gonna if why would you have your chief antagonist in this movie be a chimpanzee another now? chimp yeah because now you've eliminated that whole class struggle that you had in the first movie between the chimps and the gorillas and the orangutans i think because nowadays they might have thought that it might have been even politically incorrect maybe to do that because it's like sort of like saying oh okay what race are each of these supposed to represent when in fact they were sort of more representing classes of people yeah i mean in, in the original movie they weren't supposed to represent races the gorillas were supposed to just represent the warring people the, the, the orangutans were supposed to re represent the uh, philosophers and religion. the upper class and the chimpanzees were the scientist pacifists mm -hmm. and there was that, no race kind of, you know, uh, connected to any of them. So I don't yeah. think they needed to do that. And I think that it's another opportunity that I think they wanted to distance themselves from the original movie. And, and Tim Burton wanted to distance himself from it. And in his own desire to create his own vision on the screen, failed to replace what he took away with something equally meaningful. It ends up as a tribute to Planet of the Apes, sort of. But ultimately, it's like a hollow tribute. You know, it's it's... If it was a good, if this was a nice, trimmed down, lean, mean hour and a half, hour and forty minute movie, it would have been great. It still wouldn't have supplanted the original movie, but it would have been just like a great tribute, you know, and a fun time at the movies. And as it is, it 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 beats you over the head for an extra half hour, and then leaves you with a sour taste in your mouth. Because mm -hmm. up until that point. There were things that I was like turning my nose up at a little bit, but for the most part, I was I was enjoying it, you know. And it's full of, you know, Chris Christopherson's in it. I love those character actors, and Chris Christopherson looks just like he looks like he's out of the first movie, you know. He he yeah. looks right, and what's her name, Estella Warren, looks right for the role. She doesn't get anything to do, or any her character doesn't get any shading at all, or any resonance. I think the only purpose of having her there is to have somebody who's theoretically the love interest. The love interest and 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 to, like so they tried to do a little friction between her and Ari, you know, for the affections of Marky Mark, and uh, you know, and and each of them sort of going like, oh, he likes the other, you know, that sort of thing, and that was just kind of cheesy, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah. Now you you mentioned the score. That's one point where I can tell you I. I I thought Danny Elfman was well suited for this. Yeah, especially the the uh, opening title sequence. I really liked the music there. It, he dialed himself back. It wasn't circus music, Danny Elfman. It was dramatic. I mean, it's Planet of the Apes. Be dramatic, and he was. But he dramatic wasn't. and foreboding. 
Yes, but it wasn't. You know, it was Pee-wee and Beetlejuice. Almost anything that he would do up to a point. This one was more similar to his Batman music. This, yes, yeah, yeah, but it also it had a lot of you know a lot of percussive drums and stuff, and it just it 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 doesn't harken back as good and well as like the more modern ones do to the original soundtrack, but it's still gives you a little feel of it, you know, and and it works really well. You know, it works really well, especially in the daylight outdoor scenes of the movie. It feels very jungle ape-like to me. I, I, I really enjoyed the, the, the soundtrack to it, in, at least in the context of the movie. I don't know if I've ever listened to it outside of, you know, as it was playing in the movie. No, I've never listened to it outside of the movie, but I did, you know, in watching this to do this today, I tried to pay more attention to it. And and I I really thought it worked well. I thought I thought he created the uh, the feel that I would want for the movie more so yeah. than Burton did. And that's yeah. not, you know I don't I don't want it to be just that I'm I'm just ragging on Burton. He does create a pretty image. Uh, I just think the story is convoluted. The script really needs somebody to help shore it up, and it needed a little bit less a little bit less pretension. <laughs> That's really, yeah. really my take on it. Well, my favorite things about it are are not story elements or characters. They're just little, de- you know, little little details of thought that they put in in the production design of the the ape world. And like when they're the escape scene, and you see them run through different apes, you know, houses, and you see the apes doing their human get, getting ready for bed and taking out their false teeth, and just and how would an ape put on, you know, deodorant and stuff like that. That that stuff was was the most intriguing part of this movie compared to the story. You know that that stuff was as a monkey fan. It was funny to see an ape hanging up, upside down, rubbing rose petals under his armpits because they stink. You know, mm-hmm. it, just little details like that. But it, they they weren't enough to make the movie. You know, the story got in the way enough that that all that stuff didn't set enough atmosphere. So I could just go screw it. I'm gonna just sit and soak in the atmosphere of this movie and enjoy it that way enjoy being in this world you know it, okay. it has elements of that but it doesn't do it enough to over overwhelm the the flawed story now what, what i'll say is i did like the opening of the movie as as they brought us into the spaceship and all just the the very whitewashed look of it all mm-hmm. really really reminded me of kind of 70s science fiction yes and I liked that they did that. I thought that was a tribute to the to the style of movie without being pretentious and without going over the top. It was pretty up. Twenty twenty nine is pretty optimistic that we've got intelligent apes and are flying around doing you know in little pods to outer you know um, gal- uh, not outer galaxy but outer solar system magnetic storms and stuff. I was like, hey, that's pretty optimistic. Twenty twenty nine is not <laughs> mm. not too far in the future. I, I still, like I said, I kind of like the whole field there. It, it had a bad really, line. There. It, it to me, it started to fall apart though fairly early. Even the the hunting scene in the original movie, I thought the hunting scene was was brutal and startling. And to you know a, a six year old, which is how old I was when I saw it the first time, you know, somewhat frightening. Yeah. But this one came off as a little bit more cartoonish. It didn't have the oh, same yeah. impact. Well, you weren't going to you weren't going to get that twist of like, okay, here they come and oh, it's apes on horseback. So, you, you know, that was genuinely surprising for people who just saw the movie for the first time and 
without internet to spoil anything or anything. So you're not going to get that again. Everybody knows the apes are coming to get the humans, except for Marky Mark. So he they just, could they could have played on Marky Mark's reaction a little better, I think. Though. Yeah, yeah, he 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 just sort of rolled with it, but um, yeah, they just went over the top with it, and they went and I think Burton was also going the more of like, all right, I'm going to design these apes so they're more like real apes. So they would do a lot more thing like like why would they all ride horses when they could swing through the trees also, and mm-hmm. that they would be almost as fast as on a horse on foot because they're apes and they can they you know they're very strong and fast so they he was just sort of showing that showing off new tricks you know and saying this might be more like what evolved apes (laughs) would do would how how they would do it it was maybe more quote-unquote realistic well i think if he was going for realistic he kind of half-assed it well he went he went over the top with it and and uh and made it into a cartoon sequence, sort of reminiscent, you know, I, and, and once again, it's even more over the top of the um, dinosaur chase scene through the chasm, the brontosaurus chase in King Kong in, in the King Kong remake, uh, you know, and, and, you know, instead of King Kong just fighting a dinosaur uh, T-Rex, it's fighting two T-Rexes and they fall off a cliff and they're all hanging from vines that are swinging, you know, you can't go anywhere with the twist of it so you have to just go over the top and i don't think i don't like that approach yeah i can't argue with you on that now for all of that for all this 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 conversation i think i've been pretty much ragging on this movie from from the beginning Mm -hmm. and yet without giving away my final take on it i did not find it to be as troublesome as my take on it seems to be there were enjoyable moments to it and Quite frankly, I'm having a little trouble pinpointing exactly what they were. Uh, I, you know, what I said, what I said earlier, I think it was before we actually started recording for the show, was that if I had seen this movie in a vacuum, having never seen any of the previous five Planet of the Apes movies, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. I think it was only by comparison that it really dropped a level for me. So I don't know if the -the over-the-top characterizations or the lack of character growth throughout the movie or just some of the ridiculous things that happened and it would have bothered me as much if it wasn't for the fact that I was comparing it to a far superior film. Right. And and saying what it would have come out of if the, if the originals hadn't come out of it, it would have been a totally different movie because you would have had nothing to pay tribute to. It would have been all original and it wouldn't have, you know, some you know, damn you, damn you all, damn them all to hell wouldn't have had any meaning in it. So it probably wouldn't have Looks been like in sticking paws off me. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, it would have that yeah, it would have been its own thing. So if like yeah, this was the original Planet. I I think also if this was say the uh, the the other Planet of the Apes hadn't come out and this one came out as it was, it would have gotten better reviewed, and maybe the twist ending might have worked a little more. Just people had been like, I don't know, it's kind of confusing, but they might have liked it and 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 you know because they didn't have anything to compare it to. And it probably would have been a de- decent summer blockbuster, but I don't think it would have been like people's favorite movie and maybe withstood the test of time like the original did. You well, know? I wonder, had, had they not made the original movie and had Rod Serling never gotten his hands on the original script, I wonder if when they finally got around to making this, if it would have ended up being much more true to Pierre Boulle's version. Yeah, which, which, is which was not necessarily, uh, you know... What I've read of it, I've never read it from the beginning to end, but I've read a lot of, of, of things from it. And I don't think 
I, I think Rod Serling improved on what yes. people wrote. It, it's it has a lot of similar things to it, but the the framework of it is completely different. But it was a really good book, and it was from sort of and it, and it, and the the you know the social commentary in the book is not at all. You know, Rod Ster- Serling took it and molded it to his own devices for the and I, I agree with you to the for the better. He made it more, more. You wouldn't have been able to do the novel the book as a straight up movie. You could do it now, maybe as a two, you know maybe like a six part Netflix show or something like that. But it would be a completely different thing. It would be a more nuanced slow moving thing you know it wasn't as dramatic of a story it was more like um say you see the cartoon of gulliver's travels and then you actually read the book gulliver's travels Mm -hmm. which is slow reading you know gulliver's travels mostly is about people sitting around talking about you know wherever they are you know talking to Gulliver. let me tell you about lilliputia you know and there's adventures that happen, but it's mostly just people discussing their world and doing some social satire and commentary while doing it. So that's more like what that book is is like compared to the movies. Right. That, that's I I think that's a fair comparison, actually. So I don't know. Do you have anything more on this that you wanted to? Any notes or anything? Um, my only other note is of of it's another critique is okay. If all of these, so am I to believe? That all the that gorillas, um, orangutans, and and chimps all evolved out of one chimp. No, there was there was the story is that there were there was a menagerie, if for lack of a better word, of of, of, of primates of primates on on oh, the chimp. Okay. And that, that okay. Simos actually organized a revolt. Okay, so there were there were other gorilla there were gorillas and orangutans the, there the, too. Okay, the apes on this planet are supposed to be the descendants of the apes of from those the ship, guys. and the I don't humans on the planet are supposed to be the descendants of the humans on the ship. Of his crew. So you know, it, it's basically this entire population was formed from the Oberon. Well, there should have been a little genetic damage there, you would think. <laughs> Maybe there was. <laughs> Maybe there was some radiation on the planet that that. That counteracted that. I, I, if I remember correctly, when this movie came out, I think there were either two or three companion stories, you know, uh, novels that were that came out that that detailed uh, how how life had come to be the way it is on this planet. I didn't read any of them, but I did. I was tempted at one time, put it that way, and I looked into them a little bit. But I, I, I got I ended up getting very different takes on the quality of the writing and decided. I, I could spend my time better reading other things. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think? Is this Jaws? It's not Jaws. I'm giving it a Jaws. I'm giving it a Jaws 3. It had the potential to be a Jaws 2. It definitely did, but it blew it. It's it's overlong. It's 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 overwritten without it's overwritten without having anything to that writing and it's just overblown and and then it and then any goodwill it has it just throws away with that ending but not enough to make it into a like dog you know that it's not something that i can i thought i might not like this a lot more than i was sort of disappointed in it when i originally saw it because of the not aging well sort of thing but i was like this is a fairly entertaining and watchable movie up to a point you know and uh so so jaws 3 it has some moments for it for me in it but uh, you know 
we're talking we're not yeah we're talking it's in the sort of low rent area yeah i, I have to agree with you 100 percent on that i i was also in the jaws 3 range uh, i could tell you there's been numerous times where i was looking at the channel guide on my cable box and i would see oh planet of the apes and i flip to it and see it's this version and then i would go back to the channel guide and look for something else yeah. to watch uh, I, Especially I, I, when the originals exist and the new ones are so good too. You got seven movies right there. I mean, well, the originals, as it goes on, you know, your 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 um your prices may vary. Yeah, but. no, no question about it. But if you put all the eight of these in front of me and you tell me to sequence them as far as quality, this is coming out number eight. Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. As far as my own personal opinion. Yeah, as far as I, I know, there are people as far who as like what I would want to watch. I know there's people who would argue that this is better than Battle for the Planet of the Apes, but not to me. Maybe so. It, it probably is a better movie in a lot of ways than Battle of the Planet of the Apes. But at the same time, I'd rather watch Battle of the Planet of the Apes. Exactly. Exactly. So to me, just on, on lack of rewatchability, and I, I do feel this has a certain lack of rewatchability. Last night, as I was watching it to prepare for recording with you tonight, it took a little effort to watch it, and it yeah. should, and that shouldn't happen. It, it took a little effort for me to get. It, I wasn't. Let, let's just put it this way: if it's something, if it's a movie I love, I'm, I, I sit right down and watch it. And with this one, I'm gonna wait to the last minute to watch it and be drag my feet a little bit. And as far as that goes, while I was watching it, I was like, "All right, this isn't like getting teeth pulled." So the, it, no. it, it was not a bad. It, it wasn't like a. a grinding experience but towards the end my eyelids were getting a little bit heavy and i was like okay i'm going to bed after this yeah, you know it's, it's not it's i'm not going to put it among the worst movies no i'm not putting it among the ones that i think highly of either it's it's not a train crash but it's not one for the history books either that's for sure exactly and i guess that'll do it for our take on the 2001 remake of planet of the apes uh anybody who's interested in uh, commenting on movies that we've con covered so far any movies that you'd like us to cover uh we have an email address it's jaws podcast at gmail.com so please feel free to write i'd like itunes reviews if i can get them certainly i prefer five stars if i can but i'll, I'll take <laughs> i'll take four three we might have to, might <laughs> just, have to hunt just you down to find you <laughs> two we might send somebody to hunt you down and find you <laughs> One star, and it's just, yeah, you don't even want to know. Uh, thanks for coming on with me again, Chris. I appreciate you spending the time, and I appreciate you making the effort to sit down and watch this again when I know, you know, at least the idea of it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't sitting that pretty with you. I'll do anything for two true freak shows, man. I've sat, trust me, I sat through a lot worse <laughs> <laughs> of um, things that I put myself through, so. Just in the time we were doing this podcast, about five other movies have come up that we might end up covering together in the, in the not-too-distant yeah. future. I think that's going to happen every recording session that you have with everybody. They're going to be like, you know, between the time they talk to you, they'll be like, you know what? I thought of this one and this one and this one. Well, you let me know. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening in and hope you're back with us next time. From 20th Century Fox comes a landmark of science fiction filmmaking that's still one of the most shocking movies ever made. Wait, we're doing the Tim Burton version? <sighs> Let's just get this over with. Planet of the Apes. 
prepare for a reboot so disappointing, the franchise was immediately debooted, then rebooted again 10 years later. Watch as the once visionary Tim Burton gives a master class in how not to reboot a franchise, as he attempts to set his film apart from the 1968 classic by repurposing old dialogue. Take your stinking hands off me, you damn dirty human! Repeating old dialogue. Damn them. Damn them all to hell! And trying to one-up the original ending, even though his makes absolutely no sense. When an Air Force captain abandons his orbital monkey research station to follow his pet chimp into an electrical storm, blah 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 time travel, blah 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 evil monkey society, blah 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 uprising, ancient monkey prophecy, final battle, and the creepiest kiss ever. Trust me, you won't remember the details either. Witness the hundred million dollar version of Mark Wahlberg talks to animals. Alright, you just follow your sequence and come home. Understand? in his lowest point since his rap career, as he spends this entire terrible movie staring at things. Phoning it in. Hey, where am I? I was just here a few days ago. And mouth breathing. Not alone. Marky Mark shares the screen with a whole funky bunch of other actors like a bunch of humans we're supposed to care about, but don't. Estella Warren's dumb face. And more Oscar nominees in monkey suits than the Academy Awards. And the Oscar goes to Nobody. So before you catch the sequel to the way better reboot, get ready to suffer through everything you didn't want from a Planet of the Apes movie. Featuring political debates. The human problem cannot be solved by simply throwing money at it. The government tried that once, and all we got for it was a welfare state that nearly bankrupted us. Monkey foreplay. <laughs> and apes going apes. What do you know about my father? <laughs> How the hell did these monkeys get like this? Starring, say hi to your mother for me, Bellatrix Lestrange. Duh. Michael Clark Dunstan checks in. Reservoir Chimp, a monkey in a Paul Giamatti suit and Abraham Lincoln, Planet of the Apes, the bad one. Damn you! God damn you all to hell! Our thoughts exactly.